0: Hello, and welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello,
1: this is Ross Ingalls. Ever wondered what happens to all that baling wrap you see around silage when you're whizzing around the countryside? Until recently, nearly all of it was burned or buried. But that's changing largely due to a company called Plasback. We're talking today with Plasback's commercial manager, Neil Shaw. Neil, welcome to this climate business. Your mission is to recycle agricultural
0: plastics. How do you do that? Hi, Ross. Thanks for inviting me on the program. How we do that, that's a really good question. Plasback was started in 2006, mm. funnily enough, and in its first year of uh, collecting the plastic, we brought nine tonne of plastic back off the farms. Right. So you can tell there wasn't much of an appetite for recycling plastic. The company was born from one of the major suppliers in New Zealand, Pack Plastics at the right. time, identifying that they were creating a significant waste stream from the product they were selling into the market and knew they needed to do something about that. Mm -hmm. So they set about creating Plasback. Now, our process is very particular in terms of having a bin and liner system. So by that, I mean, we put a big plastic bin, about 1.3 cubic metres on a farm, Mm -hmm. and then it has a liner inside it, much like a a kitchen rubbish bin, Mm -hmm. except on a larger scale. As farmers cut the plastic from the bale, they then put it in the bag until it's full, then they tie it off, they can then undo the bin and set that up again and repeat the process. So they can actually fill multiple bags with the plastic. Right. Once they've done that, um, one of our collectors from across the country, we have 14 collectors, can go and collect that product, mm-hmm. take it back to one of our balers. We will then bale that product. And when we get a contain a lot of product, we will then ship that for recycling and right. turn that into other products. Right.
1: And you manufacture and sell products from that recycled plastic
0: yes we do so we have some products uh, tough board and and the best way for me to describe tough board is that it's like a a plastic plywood right. same sort of dimensions mm-hmm. 1.2 meters wide by 2.4 meters long and in different thicknesses it has quite a wide range of applications uh, outside of obviously using it in the in the building industry as such but Things like horse floats, trailer decks, deer pens, all of those sorts of things. Hmm. Um, and is the market for those recycled
1: plastic products the same as the uh, the same people
0: that you're recovering the plastic from? In other words, the agricultural sector? Yes, traditionally it, it has been. Uh, we are getting quite a bit of interest in the product um, and it's starting to hit out. Uh, equestrian market is getting quite interested in it. Uh, for their stables and horse floats and things like that as well. So, yes, but traditionally it's been an agriculturally based or focused sort of a business.
1: Right. So you've been around for 15 years Mm. and the first year you recovered nine tonnes of plastic. Now I think uh, there's something like 11,000 tonnes of silage wrap uh, imported into New Zealand every year. How much of it are you recovering now?
0: Yeah, well it's once again that's been a bit of a journey mm. and so in the last 12 months we collected five and a half thousand ton so half of it half of it mm. Mm. The year before that we collected two thousand six hundred ton
1: right
0: so we doubled our collection in a 12 month time frame but the previous fourteen years it had taken us, You know, to get from 9 ton to 2,600 ton.
1: Right. And if I understand correctly, there's an intriguing reason for that very rapid change, and that's got a lot to do with the company beginning with the letter F.
0: Yes, that's right. Yes, Fonterra have made a significant impact on that for us. And their requirement for the dairy farming shareholders is that uh, they have to uh, look at sustainably farming. And one of the criteria for farming sustainably is to be able to recover the Plastic that's created through the uh, ensiling of their feed for their livestock. Right. So, so it's
1: so what's happening there? I suppose is do we understand it this way? You, you're making it easy for the dairy farmer mm. to satisfy some parts of a Fonterra program that gives them a financial incentive to recycle.
0: That's right. So part of the story clearly around uh, being a a clean, green New Zealand is that we're able to demonstrate that we are actually clean and green. Mm. And we know that we've got some work to do in some areas, clearly. So if we can encourage the uh, dairy farming sector to be able to recover that plastic for recycling, then that creates a chain, I guess, of verification for overseas customers for Fonterra showing that the practices are being indeed uh, right. done correctly on the farm. Hmm. Uh, there is a reward for that practice for the farmer and it's it's one of a number of criteria that they can be eligible for that in, enables them to earn up to seven cents per kilo of milk solids additional um, in their payment. Uh, now, so they, that makes it more of a viable sort of an operation for the farmer to recover their plastic and recycle it.
1: Right, so can the farmer Get enough back from Fonterra to cover the cost of the programme, the cost of recycling through you?
0: Yes, yes, that's right. It's become uh, quite an important process for many of the Fonterra shareholders. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is verified through an audit process. So there are auditors that are independently employed by Fonterra that go and actually verify that the plastic is being collected and recycled. And if you cannot show that, then that's a miss in terms of your uh, verification plan.
1: So that, that is sounding quite significant. For, it's a story of a commercial operator, a farmer in this case, having a financial incentive to do the right thing. And mm. that's not all that common. Mm. Uh, and it's working.
0: Yeah, it's seen a step change in the recovery of the plastic. Mm. Um, and definitely the dairy farming community is one of the largest users of this type of plastic for ensiling their feed. Right.
1: And it's not just any plastic either, is it? Silage wrap has got certain qualities that make it great for silage, but a bit a uh, bit of a handful to recycle.
0: Yes, it's a difficult product to recycle. Mm-hmm. So it's a stretch film. Um, so it gets wrapped around the bale in a number of layers. And that basically creates a uh, an airtight seal for the product to actually, I guess, ferment, if you want to use, a, use that sort of terminology. Mm-hmm. But once it's done its job and it's cut from the bale, then something needs to be done with it. Now, it's a difficult product to recycle in that the mechanical recycling process uh, uses a lot of energy, a lot of electricity, a lot of water. Uh, it's a product that's got what we call a tackifier on it. So that's what makes it stick together as you're wrapping it around the bale. So all of those sorts of things uh, add up to it being a difficult product to actually process. Right. But nonetheless, it can be done
1: And it is being done. Mm. Um, It sounds like, from what you were saying earlier, though, that it's done overseas.
0: Yes, that's right. There's a low appetite in the New Zealand market to recycle this product or Mm -hmm. process it uh, because of the high uh, cost of energy um, and also the the water and things like that that are required. So we actually collect the product, uh, bale it, and then we export it to Malaysia where it's processed into recycled pallets, It's then made into uh, polythene, so things like rubbish bags, uh, polythene film for uh, underlaying and foundations and things like that. We also use it for our tough board. Anything that is left over is obviously sold as recycled pallets back into the open market as well for use in other products. So uh, so you're literally buying back the plastic that you... Send overseas. That's right, and doing something else with it. Right, right. The unfortunate thing is, is that the quality of the stretch film means that the recycled pellets aren't actually of a standard that can be put back into stretch film currently because of uh, the very slight bits of contamination you get. You might have a grain of sand or something in it which will mm. cause the plastic to tear right. or window, as we call it, and that can create an issue, obviously, in terms of contaminating the feed. Right.
1: So you're saying that the... Plasback's history is it, uh, ownership by companies that are in the plastic film business. That's right. And they were exercising a, an early form of um, product stewardship.
0: Yep. So, is the company ever been profitable? <laughs> it's not really, no. Um, it was more about doing the right thing, mm-hmm. you know, and the appetite from the industry was low. Uh, the appetite from the merchant channel was also very low but what we've noticed in the last two or three years is that uh, the the Fonterra initiative around the cooperative difference combined with I believe uh, social conscience you know people are starting to think more about how do we handle this product and and how do we assist in removing it from the farm and and taking care of the environment um, there are many regional councils that still allow a farmer to burn or bury, and I think that they have a role to play in, in stopping that.
1: Mm. Um, so are you seeing so a, a change in that area, that, that that regional councils are starting to get a bit of a conscience when it comes to how that plastic is treated? Some. Mm.
0: Yeah, It's there's still quite a bit of work to do there. Right. And that
1: that is how it the film has been traditionally treated.
0: Yes, yeah, uh, definitely it's been buried or it's been burnt. Um you can burn it on farm, but you have to ensure that it's at a thousand degrees. And I'm not sure that too many farmers are gonna be standing there with a thermometer or a gauge trying to check the temperature. Right. You know. So yeah, there's a few holes in the, in the system.
1: Just to go back to something that you touched on earlier uh, about exporting uh, the, the, the raw material and then mm. buying it back in, what would it take for you to, uh, to be able to recycle that product in New
0: Zealand, yeah, uh, probably somewhere in the vicinity of twenty to twenty-five million dollars of investment is required to put the machinery in place that would enable mm. us to recycle that product to an acceptable standard for right. it to be able to be put into a higher grade of recycled product. And the bottom line is that it's very difficult to actually make that a viable business proposition uh, currently. Mm. That's why you don't see too many recyclers taking that sort of business on within the New Zealand market. Right. The, the household type waste products, the milk bottles, and all of those sorts of things are, are, are where most of the recyclers are positioning themselves.
1: Right. Is it is it a case also of needing more volume to justify?
0: No, not really. The We've got the volume coming in. I think you know we could probably have a viable processing facility at the six or seven thousand ton mark, and we're at five and a half thousand now. Right. Just on that stretch film. Right. So it sounds
1: like um, uh, Fonterra's uh, one of the good guys in this story, and they've made a very significant recent change to your business. Definitely. Given farmers a a reason to send plastic your way. Hmm. There's another change coming too, which is uh, government requirements around um, producer levies on plastics.
0: Hmm. Can can you give
1: us the context there?
0: Yeah, farm plastics has been identified as, as one of six waste streams that are going to be mandated. Um, Others you may be familiar with, refrigerants, e-waste, tyres, and so on. Farm plastics has currently been operating under a voluntary system. So the agricultural chemical industry has been operating under a a voluntary system for about the same time as Plasibac's been in Mm. in, um, the market. But the rest of the agricultural sector hasn't really been making any contribution as such. So uh, as part of a, a mandated scheme, a levy will be applied to farm plastics. Mm. The go-live date for that is uh, 2024, so next year. Mm. Um, there's a little bit of work to be done yet before th- that all happens. But what that means essentially is that a levy will be applied to anything that's being used as a plastic carrier, You know, whether it's a container or stretch film or bags or alkothene pipe or whatever it might be. And then that will be uh, allowing us to be able to go out and collect and process that product in a more viable way than currently we're doing. So
1: what would the funding stream be? So the the levy is paid by the importer or distributor and goes to presumably a central fund, government administered. How is it then distributed?
0: Yeah, so what will happen is there'll be a product stewardship organisation uh, that will be receiving the funding, mm. and then that product stewardship organisation will contract businesses such as Playsback mm-hmm. to go and actually carry out the task of recovering the plastic and processing it. So
1: is that maybe where your 20 to $25 million can come from? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe in the future that could be the case. Right. And I assume that you'll be putting your hand up for some of that money straight away,
0: Yeah, I think, uh, so our our parent company or our our owners, that's something that they will sign off on at some point in time Mm -hmm. if that's the direction that um, they need to take. But, you know, I I know it's certainly being looked at in terms of how we make this work. Right. Uh, It's unfortunate we can't actually create an Australasian sort of a recycling facility um, because obviously Australia and New Zealand won't allow the material to cross the border f- for biosecurity reasons and things like that.
1: Right. That's a problem that you don't need.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I understand, we understand why. Mm. Yeah. What about your
1: own interests in sustainability, Neil? Like what's your background and how much of a greenie are you?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm of the generation that didn't really think much about it. I've <laughs> uh, got a couple of... Uh, Uh, kids that are in their late 20s, early 30s. So that sort of gives you an idea of my vintage. And uh, I've been in the agricultural sector all of my working career, uh, working for chemical companies, uh, working for merchants and cooperatives. And I saw this opportunity and just felt as though it was something that is very topical. It needs some, uh, I think, operational drive applied to it. And I felt that I was the person with the, the sort of experience that could add a bit of value to this. Mm. So uh, I care about the environment. I wanna make sure that, you know, the legacy that's left behind is not for our children and grandchildren to clean up. And we need to start doing something about it now. Right. And I also wanted to bridge the gap between the, uh, I guess, the the view of uh, recycling as easy versus the operational realities And I think that that's quite a large gap that needs to be closed. Mm -hmm. Um, Not all plastic is plastic that is easy to recycle. Mm. And uh, separation into different streams for processing is very important. And I'm not sure that everybody understands the technicalities that are involved in trying to handle some of these products. Right.
1: Right. So you went to Plastback because you're green or you're green because you have been working at Plastback?
0: Combination of both, I would say, is that I want to do the right thing Mm. and uh, provide an influence in the sector to the recovery of the waste plastic. And I mean, goodness knows, I've put enough of it out there in my lifetime selling agricultural chemicals and doing all sorts of other things. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Right. Last question then,
1: Neil. What can you tell us about what you're seeing of, of the appetite from the agricultural sector generally for sustainability and what it does?
0: I think for me, there's been a lot of talking and not a lot lot of action, if I'm really blunt about it. Uh, Everybody says they want to do the right thing. Everybody wants to recycle until they realise they have to pay for it. And then you get a lot of deferring and delaying. Um, You have conversations where people get really... Excited about doing something and then they disappear for six or eight months Mm. because uh, they don't actually feel as though they can contribute to the recovery of the plastic. You've got to remember that while this plastic serves a purpose in terms of creating a uh, a solution, uh, once the user has used that product, then it's regarded as their rubbish. So bale wrap is treated as their rubbish. You know, agricultural chemical containers are rubbish. So it doesn't have the same sort of thinking applied to it. It's just get rid of it, burn it, bury it, whatever we need to do with it, let just get rid of it. So we're trying to change the, the thinking there to, you've had the benefit from the use of the product for your farming practices, now let's just get it to the right place to be able to recycle it and then somebody can use it again. And that's quite an important thing to be doing.
1: I just wonder if the situation today is quite as bleak as you make it sound because it, it sounds like we're... What, what you're seeing is the emergence of commercial reasons for people to do what they mm. might not have chosen to do otherwise. Mm. In other words, recycle.
0: Mm. And I think it's like in any any sector, you have levels. You know, you have the early adopters, you have the people that uh, are wanting to lead change, um, and then you have the various layers underneath that. Now, I can go and uh, stand standard an agricultural show and talk to many farmers, and I will still get, oh, I match as much cheaper, I'll never recycle it. Um, I talked to a young couple, actually. Uh, their children would have been maybe six and four. The farmer very openly said, Ah, i just bury it. I, and I said, oh, why is that? He said, well, I'm not a very big farmer. I said, well, how much do you bury? And he said, oh, about 400 wraps a year, 400 bales worth of plastic. Now that's about 400 kilos. So over 10 years, that's four tonne of plastic he's putting in the ground. So I left him with the thought. I said, "Are you are you farming to hand your farm over to your kids? And he said, yeah, I am. I said, so what sort of legacy do you want to leave them? And he said, what do you mean? I said, so you're just going to bury this and leave it for them to clean up in the future. Is that what I'm hearing? And with that, his partner or or wife hit him on the shoulder and said, see, I told you we should be doing something with this plastic. And then uh, she proceeded to encourage him to actually get on board with the system the bin and liner system, and make the changes that needed to be made. And I think the short-term thinking is something that we have to get past as well. So, And I've had large corporates um, where that same thing has happened, where the farm manager has refused to actually take it to recycling, dug a hole and buried it in the back paddock somewhere. So it still happens.
1: Neil Shaw from Plasback, thanks for joining us on this climate business.
0: Pleasure. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. If you like the show, please rate us as it helps others to find us. Ka kete